Welcome to Things to Know. I'm Luca, and on this show, we talk to the people that make the thing knows what it is. Today, we're talking to none other than active community member and legendary photographer, the tech creative. I hope you enjoyed this interview, and more importantly, I hope you learned something. Thank you so much for coming on today. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm Chris, um, and my elevator speech is kind of goes kind of like as follows. So, um, born and raised in Cameroon, West Central Africa. If you don't know where that is, um, just picture the map of Africa and think about the armpit of Africa, and that's where it kind of is. Um, I lived there for 18 years. Moved to the U.S. for for studies. Um, and you know, got over here on an F1 visa, student visa. Um, I went to school in Arkansas, a, a small college university called Harding University. Um, I was there for four years, and then after uni, um, a company, um, a hedge fund, you know, recruited me, and I started working for the hedge fund. Um, I was in Dallas working for three years maybe three and a half. And then after that, an opportunity um, came up to move to the UK, moved to the UK, worked there for four years. And then as things would have it, um, when you move to the UK, depending on the visa that you're on, you can get something. You can either, the visa can contribute to your indefinite leave to remain. And indefinite leave to remain is the version, is the UK's version of a green card. So if you're on the right visa, the time that you've spent in the UK already counts towards that. If you're not on the right visa, um, from the time that you find out that you want to stay in the UK, you have to spend an additional five years. I wasn't on the right visa. So when the time came to, after my three year, well, three to four years in the UK, when the time came to either stay longer or come back to the US, because I wasn't the right visa, I would have had to stay there for an additional five years and I was like I'm not doing that because I could have just come back to the U.S. and gotten a green card so I decided to come back to the U.S. but after living in in London I couldn't go back to the house my photography had taken off at that point um and I don't know a multicultural city like London just felt so far ahead of what I wanted, you know, for, so far ahead of Dallas. And I don't mean anything bad about that. Like Dallas was great for the time that I was there. It was just what I wanted at that point when I felt like New York could give me that versus Dallas. Um, so I moved to New York and I've been in New York ever since. So um, that's kind of it. Um, I gave, you know, I'm a cybersecurity professional. Um, and um I do photography at a semi-high level on the side. I mean, I'm not going to let the the semi-high level slip by because <laughs> I've seen the work and it's incredible. Um, but it. I want to jump all the way back. Okay. You're growing up in, in Cameroon. Um, growing up in Cameroon, yes. Tell us a little bit about that and then in particular, the idea of coming to the U.S. for school. I also moved mm -hmm. to the U.S. for school, um, but I'm, I'm sure your experience was very different than mine. I just want yeah. to hear about that part of your life. So, I don't know which, so, I mean, my mom went to, to school at Tennessee State University, right? So, um, 
I'm not going to lie, like, you know, the, the thought of the U.S. was never like a far-fetched idea for me. Like a lot of my friends, it was, but because I had, I had seen someone, which is why representation is so important, right? Like when you know that someone that you could physically touch and feel has done something that you want to do, it is, um, it's possible, right? So it wasn't a far-fetched idea for me to want to go to the U.S. Um, you know, that was always a plan, you know, and that's the deal. Like, I don't know if you've heard the, the saying, right? Like, it, it, it isn't for, I, I don't want to generalize, but I think it's for, like, Nigerian and Cameroonian families. Like, your parents have, there are four professions. You're either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or you're a failure, right? And the, 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 it was always, if you're going to do one of those three things, then it's okay. I will make sure that you can get to the U.S. Right. So you go to you start high school with the thought of like I'm gonna move, get to college and I'm gonna do one of those three things. And if I'm going to go, if I'm going to do one of those three things in college, then my mom will send me to to the U.S. So that's kind of how I, I grew up. I just grew up always knowing my mom had experienced this amazing time in the U.S. and she had also lived a little bit in, in the UK and she was like, if you work hard, if you study, if you do all the things that you need to, uh, you, you get to go. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that I, I grew up just always just knowing that, okay, like I want to go leave the American dream, whatever that was. Um, it's actually funny. Like I had a really good friend of mine went to Bristol university in the UK and because we were so close, I wanted to go there instead, but things didn't end up working out. Which, which is fine, it, it, it all ended up working at the end, but um, for a bit there, I thought I was gonna end up in the UK instead. So yeah, that's just, I mean, if there are specific things about the, my childhood that you wanna know, um, I can tell you, um, but I don't know what those things that you're specifically looking for. Um, I mean, I can tell you as a child, I was very scared of everything. Like, I, you know, I was a kid that like, didn't like visitors in your house. Like I didn't wanna be touched. I wanted to be left alone. Like, I would cry at the thought of visitors. I like I was so traumatized of everyone. Like I was so shy, and I still very am. I'm still I still am very much in some degrees. But like I've learned to kind of like get out of my shell, and that's kind of like you know going to uni and like moving here by myself, right? Like that's kind of what that did for I guess uh, my personality. That's a, a fascinating story and and take on it. When you came to the U.S., you said mm -hmm. um kind of three professions you could go after. <laughs> Did you go into the computer science engineering and that's how you ended up in cybersecurity or was there a different path that led you to the, the tech side and more into the financial side as well? Right, so I wanted to major in economics. My grandma worked for the UN. My grandma worked, worked for the UN. My grandma worked for the United Nations Development Program and she worked for them for... 70 years. Wow. That's how long she worked for them. That's I insane. remember I used, to, I used to visit her and she, she was based in Lagos, Nigeria. Fun fact about my grandma, she has been to every single country in the world except for Russia. <laughs> Which I'm like, it's like one of the biggest. Like, why didn't you just go to just something confused? But anyway, she, so she used to travel a lot as a diplomat. Um, and that's why I wanted to go into you know, economics. Uh, so, because I would visit her in Nigeria and I was like, 
listen, I want to do what you do. I like the idea of traveling. I like the idea of, um, you know, being in different countries and like meeting with head of states and stuff like that. So um, I was always, always, always fascinated by our job. So when I went to college, I was like, I want to do economics, but I didn't know how I was going to stay. And that's the problem I had when I got to the U.S. And that's why my mom came back. It was like, how do you stay after you're done with your F1 visa? Mm -hmm. I couldn't see the end goal. So I switched my major to something technical because the belief was if you do something technical, which are high skill jobs, which a lot of people don't want to do, it is easier to get um, an extension, whether, you know, something like that, I will allow you to stay longer. So I quickly was like, you know what, I'm going to put um, economics to the side. I'm just going to do um you know, information technology, that was a major at the time. Uh, I'm just going to do that. And then, I, you know, I, I flirted with the idea of doing a double-double major, but that's more money. And, like, Harding is a, it's a private school. It was expensive. I was like, I don't want to pay for both. Tried thought about doing it as a minor, but still too expensive. So, you know, I was like, I'm just going to focus on, you know, the tech side. So that's what I did. That's how I picked it because um, – my mom wouldn't have been mad at me doing economics because she was um, she was an economics major as well. So she would have been okay with it. Um, but I knew I wanted to stay in the U.S. after I was done. So the only way I knew how to do that was to get into a technical profession. So that's why I picked tech. But yeah, that's kind of how it happened. That makes a ton of sense. So I'm in university right now as well. Um, and even now, I think that's a really common thing for F1 visas and, right. and stuff in general. Um, it's just a crazy, crazy, crazy complicated system um, yeah. with so many weird aspects to it. But I'm glad it, it worked out for you. You yeah. ended up after doing information technology, working at this hedge fund. So you kind of got mm -hmm. the economic and, and financial aspect, at least tangentially. Did you enjoy that job? Was it interesting? Was that where crypto started to come into your world or was it somewhere else entirely? Hmm. You know, everyone has a, you know, everyone has a story of like, there were kids in the dome that like did like, I have, I have a story like that, but like mine is not interesting because I do my junior year in uni. I remember too, Nathan, his name was, I forget his last name, but like they were like next door neighbors and they were mining Bitcoin. But I had no interest because like I always went there to get help my, my, you know, my computer science homework. But like, and they would have this huge, and they were doing that. But like, I never stupidly was like, what is that? And how can I get involved? Um, and looking back, right, like it's a huge regret, but that's not when I even got in. Like um, when I started working at a hedge fund, I was very much, I've, I had found a job, like it was two weeks before my, um, I wasn't allowed to stay anymore that I got a job offer. Like I would have had to go back home. So I got a job offer and I was like, listen, I'm going to work as hard as I can so that I get to stay. They, were, they said they would sponsor my work visa um, there is something you get while you're waiting for your, your work, your work visa. I forget the name; it's been so long. But 
So I went, I moved to Dallas and I started working for this hedge fund. I had no idea what the hedge funds were. I had no idea, like, you know, which now I should have done economics or math, but whatever. Um, so I just started working there and, you know, I started learning the basics of really like, you know, computer science and, and whatever. Um, so I did that and crypto didn't really get into my life until I moved to London and the guy, I have a friend that I'm meeting tomorrow, actually, who was just visiting from the UK. He was the one who really, like, turned me on to crypto, actually. So um, the London office was a small, small group of people. It was, like, 13, 14 people in the office. And it was very much like a family. Like, people would just shout out random ideas. And, you know, it was the first time, like, Ethereum I had hit, like, I don't know, if it's like, $1,000 or something like that. And, you know, it would go to $1,000 and then go back to 400 And, like, you know, I had the opportunity to just buy a shit ton. And um, that's kind of when my the first time I was like, holy crap, like, I can, you know, why don't I just buy a few and see what happens, right? So so there was a few gaps there, but, like, that's really when I was. I don't, I don't remember the year exactly, but I can find it if I needed to um, when I was in London. So just thinking maybe five years, six years ago. Wow. So decently early still. Um, that's, yeah, that's decently cool. early. The part that I think we haven't talked about about your story yet is the photography. When do you start taking photos? Is that something that you were always interested in? Is it something that developed later? How does that come into your story? Uh, I started actually like being super interested in photos um, when I was in Dallas, actually in, in uni, but like I didn't really do that. Like I, I had a camera, but I was like, again, I didn't know how to put myself out there in terms of going out and taking photos. And like the medium of sharing back then was like Flickr was really popular and Tumblr was really popular. And it was a more of a blog style, you know, thing you needed to have. Um, and I love poetry, but like I never wanted to type out blogs and lent and lent of things about photography. So I never really got interested. And then I moved to Dallas and that part of my life was kind of like go out as much as possible, meet as many people as possible, drink as much as possible. Um, and there was a part of me that wanted to do photography, but my group of friends, and it sounds bad, but it's not, it's not bad. The, the people I was surrounded by wearing into that so again the subject matter also didn't feel like it would you know i could i could do it and thrive in it so when i moved to london um i was like i'm going to be traveling a lot um it had always been a dream of mine to travel to many places because of my grandma um so i was like i'm going to be going to barcelona for weekends france and portugal and all these places why don't i do this the right way um so my first official, even though I had a Canon G's 3X or whatever back in the days, my first official camera was a Sony A6000. And I bought it and I was like, wherever I go, I'm going to take this thing and I'm just going to take photos. And from then, it just took off. Um, I started taking photos every single day for the rest of my time in London. Wow. I, I can't think of a time when I didn't have my camera here for us. That, Every day. that must be a, a crazy archive of photos that you yes. have at this point. That's yes. so cool. Um, I have like 100,000 photos. Wow. It's, it's, it's 
crazy. Yeah, it's like a a visual journal almost of, of your yeah. entire life. That's incredible. Um, it's interesting that you end up in the tech and, and finance world, and then also have this photography passion on the side, or, or even photography career at times. Do you find that that is like balancing two sides of your brains or, or brain, or are there similarities between the two that you find? Um, like, is it a release or is it something that supplements what you already do? To be honest, like photography is the only thing that has ever come easy to me. Like my job requires me to write code. My job requires me to do these things that like don't come naturally, naturally to me. And it's frustrating because I have to work hard. Like there are people who it just comes so easy. Mm -hmm. So like you could write a piece of code that would take me two hours, maybe in an hour. And it's like, I know there are people who are out there. And, you know, so when I was in London, I was the only person doing what I did in that office. I was a manager and an engineer. So I had to do so much. And to be honest, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure if someone diagnosed me, they'll probably be thinking that I was depressed because I worked so many long hours. I didn't, you know, I couldn't take break. If I wanted to take a vacation, they had to send someone from Dallas to come cover for me. So you can imagine how it would take to plan. So I could only like, when I would go to Barcelona, it'd be like, I leave Friday night, I come back Sunday and then I'm back at work on Monday. So those were the vacations I was taking. Mm -hmm. So photography became like just my escape, right? So I would leave work and I would walk home and by the, that, that time, our office was in, you know, uh, Piccadilly, around Piccadilly Circus, and then I would walk to Clapham, which is like a three-mile walk, walk every every evening. So I would just walk and just find little alleys, like take photos of whatever that I could, right? So I, I feel like photography has always been just an escape of, like, I don't want to think, I don't want to stress. I just want to go, I just want to walk. I just want to listen to music. And I'm not really listening to music. I just want to look around me and just like find things that I love and like that just seem interesting to me and just immortalize those moments and capture them, right? So that's what it, it, it was for me um, until I started getting paid for it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that switch a little bit. You're taking photos, yeah. you're doing it predominantly because you enjoy it you're sharing the art yeah when does that first moment of like oh people will pay me to do this this is like something that i i am actually like very good at um when does that start to creep into your life um so i started getting followers on instagram when i started meeting people who are photographers a lot of my friends now are photographers and i met them in the uk um, I started getting a lot of traction and like, you know, I started getting featured, like feature pages were a huge back then. A feature page is just a page that just reposts other people's work and they usually garner a lot of attention and grow faster than other pages because they can feature multiple artists multiple times a day. So I got featured by the London account so many times, Art of Visuals, like so many times, Moody Grants, all these Game of Thrones, all these OG accounts that had like 500,000 followers. So my following grew. Um, but the time, the one moment that I knew things were going to change, I took a photo of St. Pancras Hotel. And it's, you know, I, I call it the Harry Potter, Harry Potter Hotel because it's like 
like that's where like you know there is that I don't know that card that a lot of people always take a photo uh, and they act like they're gonna jump through the wall. I took a photo of that hotel, and Sony reposted that photo. And St. Pancras, the hotel, actually reached out to me wanting to buy the rights for that photo. And I mean, I was dumb and I was young then, and I was like, I, I, I will give you the photo. All you have to do is find someone and do do good things. I said, find someone, a homeless person, someone, and house them for a week, whatever. Just so, that, and I will give you the photo. And they wouldn't do it. Wow. They said no. And I was like, I can't give you the rights to use this because they were going to use it on the marketing materials. Mm-hmm. And that was been everywhere. So I was like, I'm not doing it if you're not going to do that. Um, I actually looked up the email chain recently. Um, so yeah, that's when I knew it was going to change. And um, and then obviously I started getting requests from, you know, influencer gigs, like, you know, we'll give you a phone here. So like, you know, we'll do this, like we'll give you a camera to do this and, you know, come to these events, take these photos. That's kind of when I, you know, it started. But the St. Pancras was the official time. I was like, yeah, this is going to um this is different now. Like, I, I understand people would pay for this. Yeah. It's crazy that they'd be willing to pay for it and not do something <laughs> to help someone. Um, and they, well, they wanted to pay for it, but they didn't want to give me a lot of money. They wanted to give me like 250 pounds. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. At this point in your story, you're taking photos, traveling the world, you have your technical background. You've done a ton of interesting stuff. How do NFTs start to factor into your life and the world around you? I know you have some NFTs that that you've put out. You're a part of Thingdoms. Mm-hmm. What's kind of the story there? So, you know, I kind of joined when um, beginning of last year. Um, and the way I joined is, again, from the photography community, um, oh, I forget his name, but uh, JN Silver. JN Silver is the originator of like who picked my interest in, in NFTs. He went on the Joe Budden podcast, which I listened to, and he talked about NFTs. And it's crazy. I listened to the podcast, but I also know who he is. We we want a panel together for Sony, right? So I know him, and. He talked about NFTs and there was that crazy NFT that sold for millions or something like that, right? Like I forget the name, but so I had, it was creeping up and I was hearing about it and some of my friends started getting into it, right? Like, and they started, um, you know, minting their own stuff. And I was like, oh, you know what? Let me find an invite. I can get someone, one of these guys to send me an invite. Um, Billy Dean, who he just sold something on Super Rare for 11 ETH. Like, he just, he invited me just to foundation last year. And I was like, my work is good enough. I don't need to do any work with the community. I don't need to do anything. I'll just make a bunch of stuff. And I'm sure it'll take off. I was wrong. I just minted a bunch of stuff. I put it on last year and I never touched it again. I was like, oh, if it sells, it sells. I don't need it. Like, I have in real life clients. Um, but you also have to realize, like, last year, this is after I've worked with Google, I've worked with Yahoo, I've worked with Lululemon, I've worked with Canada Goose, I've worked with these brands that are like gigantic, right? So 
I'm just like, my work is good. It's just going to speak for itself. So I just meant it and I left it. I, you know, and then, you know, at the beginning of, uh, at the end of last year, you know, you're hearing border the clubs, you're hearing punks, you're hearing these monumental things, right? Like that, um, you know, these things that almost have a cultural level, like the cultural relevance of, of a kid hearing, you know, painting or something. It, it was just so, it was so unavoidable that you had to pay attention. So I was like, I haven't really put in the time so let me do that. And this year is really when I was like, all right, I'm jumping into it and I am going to make sure that I pay attention. And so this year is really the time when I really started okay, paying attention to like, you know, PFP collections, one-on-ones, and like trying to put my art there out there, joining spaces and trying to build the right way, connecting with collectors, um, chatting with them and doing all these things, all this legwork, um, it's a humbling experience, right? It's a very humbling experience because, you know, you know, I've found success in many ways in the photography field, but like NFTs is a whole different beast. So, yeah. It's a very, very different world, like you said. I know a, a bunch of people that are able, like creative directors, people kind of in that space, right? Um, that are able to do a lot of work on the corporate side and are really good at that. Um, but just the community aspects and and the marketing aspects of going direct to consumer are different. Um, I think very valuable. I think it's it's a good thing for artists to learn, um, and and it unlocks a ton of value, obviously. But it, it is very different, and it's interesting to hear that you had that same experience. When it comes to thingdoms, you're obviously very very active in the Discord in the community. I feel like you're always on. How did you go from one of one's art diving into the profile picture world to Thingdom specifically? When did that come across your radar? I was in this, no offense, trashy project that I found because of some NFT marketing on Instagram. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but I was in there and there was this guy um, called Sam NFT. I remember vividly. And he got on stage and spoke to the founder. They had all these AMAs all the time. He got on stage and he made so much sense about what should happen. And he sounded so knowledgeable. And I followed him on Twitter. I was like, you know what? This guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And I like how he, he comes across, right? I followed him on Twitter and within two weeks of following him, he was like, I'm going to be buying a Frankenpunk and a Dingdom. Those are the two that he was like super passionate about in, at the time. And I saw Dingdoms and I was like, I love the art immediately. And um, the thing that I had learned to that point by joining all the Discord and stuff like that is people approach you differently or people respond to you differently once you get into a Discord and you verify that like, hey, I'm not just here as an outcast, I'm here as someone who wants to be part of this community. Mm -hmm. And I had done that for another project. I wasted a lot of money just trying to get into different projects, which if I have any advice for anyone, it's like, you should almost just come into the space for two months and don't buy anything. Just go into random discourse and just listen and just see how it goes. Um, I didn't do that approach, which was stupid. Um, 
but I'm also happy that I didn't do that with the Gums because I I got in and it was the first Discord where it just felt different. It felt like home, right? In terms of, and it sounds cheesy, but like you have to understand, I came from projects like where everything that everyone said was in direct relation to making the floor price go up was strategies. People were agonizing over how to improve this, how to do this. This is what we should do. And it was so stressful to me. And then I found Thingums and it was like, I don't have that stress. I can have the added benefit of meeting new people, people who think like me, people who, you know, have different experiences, people I can learn from and, you know, rally behind, you know, a project that like really has good values. So that's kind of how I found Thingums. It was true, Sam. Um, and I got in and I bought immediately. Um, and I still own the first thing that I ever bought. And I'm not selling that because it has emotional you know, connection now. It's like over 9,000 as well. It's like, it's not even like, a, like you know, <laughs> but, you know, it was just like the beginning of something, you know, it felt, it just felt, it just felt good to be in a place where it wasn't just like the fluff was gone. It was, you know, you could tell the difference in community immediately. So. I, I think a lot of people can empathize with that, especially like members of the community. Um, it's a very welcoming space. And when you say like, it feels like home, it, it really does to some extent. Um, it's just a community of people that want to support each other and, and help each other, which is yeah. cool to find, um, to be honest. Let's zoom out a little bit. Looking at NFTs, crypto as a whole, your creative journey, where do you see crypto and NFTs going in the next couple of years? Where do you see yourself personally going in the next couple of years? Are there any projects from you that we should keep our eyes out for, new pictures, anything like that? I mean, it's, man, that's a, it's, it's a very good question, right? Like, I, I sort of the, I'm going to ramble, but the, the truth is, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is, if five companies come out of the PFP world from NFTs and they go on to change the world, then NFTs are a success. And just think about Google, think about Apple, think about all, think about Microsoft, think about these companies who, before they were what they are today, no one thought they would be where they, they won't, no one thought they would be what they are today. So um, the way I look at it is like, I mean, crypto is here to stay, right? Like, and I've always been more of an Ethereum person than a, than a Bitcoin person, not because I have anything against Bitcoin, but the concept of building onto things and the technology is always what sold me on Ethereum, right? It was, it's a more welcoming technology when you even think about it than even than Bitcoin is. So I've always gravitated more to that. So I think, Ethereum is a long play and it is going to keep innovating and changing the, um, the space. I don't, I don't have any advice on like what coins and whatever you should buy, but in terms of NFTs, right, it gave, it gave a digital certificate to people who create digital art like me, right? Like before NFTs, there was no way you, you could have 
one of my Barcelona photos, it is the most published photo on Pinterest. And no one knows it's from me. I see it all the time. All the time. It's everywhere on Pinterest. If you if you go to Pinterest and you type Barcelona, I guarantee you it's in the first 10 photos is going to be one of my photos. And it's like no it doesn't link to me in any ways. I don't like you know, and it's just kind of like no one knows I took that. It's like that meme where like you know, the guy in the back and so like no one knows I like it's just that's how I feel with that photo. Um and so I don't know, I think with NFTs, it's just giving so much power to create. I know so many people who have done so well. People are buying homes. People are, you know, getting out of debt. And it's like that. It, you, you can't. No matter if you don't understand it, though, the things I say, I have a lot of finance friends who are like, get that out of here. And I say, no matter how much you don't understand it. Take the time to see how it is changing people's lives. And it is hard to say no to something that you have personal contact with. And it's hard for me to say no to it or like, you know, just avoid it when I know people that have like changed their lives because of it, right? So I hope it's here to stay. I hope to see it become like a certificate of authenticity for other things in our life. I don't want to go to the DMV and have to bring originals of any documents. I would love to use blockchain technology to say, hey, here's a digital certificate of my marriage and you can tell it's original because it's on, you know, I would like to see it integrated in those ways. I would like, you know, NFC is like, um, you know, they're determinant of culture. It's going to be, people are going to use NFTs to flex down the line. I can already see it. People, you know, how do you know a Rolex is a real Rolex? Well, how do you know a one-of-one one by X copy is a real? Like, people are going to find a way to display that stuff. Like, I mean, Logan Paul going to WWE with a Pokemon chain, watch $2 million. Like, it's going to go down that route. And I mean, bought it, yard club, right? Like, people wear, someone wears a hoodie today, and you know what that means. You immediately understand what that means. So, uh, no, I, it's interesting. I'm in here to stay. I'm in here to stay. And in terms of projects that I'm doing, um, shout out to Ramsey. He bought my first photo um, a few weeks, two weeks ago or a week ago. Um, so I'm just trying to build on the um, the OpenSea collection called 10,000 Hours, which is just kind of like, this is, these, the, it's just a bunch of one-on-one photos that represent like the best of my work according to me and according to like, so, you know, what people have said, hey, that's a really good shot. So that's all I'm doing. And, you know, I'm just going out, I'm taking photos every day, still doing that and trying to create. I have a, I have an NFT event with Solo House in June 21st. And the goal of that is just kind of get people to meet me in real life and be like, listen, I'm here to stay. I'm not trying to like make a bunch of money on NFTs and run away. I want to build and I'm going to get to a point where, you know, you know me. Like, I, I don't want to be seen. I want to be recognized, right? Like, that's my goal. I don't need to be out there. Like, I don't feel comfortable shooting myself that much. But like, I know if someone meets me, it's hard. Like, I, I'm very much into personal connection and, and like feel like if you make me it's hard not to be like okay i want to root for that guy so 
that's kind of like my whole approach to things. It's just kind of like, you know, let's see what happens. Let me invest in the space. Let me give what I have to the space and see what it would give back. And we'll see. It could be a failure, but at least I would have tried. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you'd like to connect with The Tech Creative, you can find them on Twitter at The Tech Creative. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can also find me on Twitter at It's Luca WM. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to The Tech Creative for joining me today and for sharing their story. Your insights were valuable and interesting to listen to. And as always, a huge thank you to this community. None of this is possible without you. If you missed this episode or any other episodes of Things to Know, you can find them online at thingstoknow.show and all your favorite podcast platforms. As always, do good things, stay thingy, and I'll see you next week.